Isn't that just amazing? The Bible says that Jesus is the one who seeks and saves the lost. And there is a wonderful example of Jesus seeking and saving. Thank you so, so much to Anna for sharing your story with us. Good morning, everybody. If you don't know me, my name's Andrew. I'm part of the leadership team here at King's. And I have to say, it's always a real uh, delight to stand here and look at your lovely faces for half an hour. But today, it is particularly lovely. I'm really impressed with the way we've turned out in our best to um, celebrate the nations together. I'm very uh, privileged today to be completing our Live Connected series. We've been taking four weeks to uh, look at some kind of biblical principles, biblical wisdom to help us as we've launched our new connect groups. And really, it's just to help us think, how do we do life together as Christians in the way that God wants us to? And connect groups have now launched. Hooray! If you've been in a connect group, you'll have had one meeting so far. You'll have another one coming up uh, this week. And I wonder if you've been to a connect group meeting this term, what your kind of thoughts were. Maybe you went and you thought, well, this is a really nice group of people. You thought, we're going to get on really well. We're going to have a great year together. Maybe you went and you thought, well, this is a really random mix of people. Maybe you kind of thought, I don't quite see how this is going to work. Maybe you thought, there's no natural connections. We're all different uh, ages, different backgrounds. We've got different interests, different jobs. We're from different nations, different cultures. Maybe actually you're thinking, I just don't think this thing's going to work out. How can a group so diverse really do life together and grow together for a year. Maybe actually you're here this morning, you think the same about church. Maybe even this morning, hearing about all these different nations represented here, maybe it just leaves you thinking, can that really be one family? Can we really be one community together with such huge diversity? Well, I'm here this morning to share some really good news that we can be. That actually because of the good news of what God has done in Jesus, we can be united in our diversity and we can celebrate the diversity within our unity. And really, that's what today is about. Today is about celebrating the fact that we are one. We are a family together, united in Christ. But also that within this wonderful family, there is diversity put there by God to be embraced and to be celebrated. So what I want to do this morning is just to unpick a couple of bits of the Bible to help us understand that unity we have but then also understand how we should view the diversity that exists amongst us. So let's start with our unity. How can your connect group, full of a totally random mix of people, or how can we as a church, with all sorts of different people represented, be united? How can we really be one? Well, Jesus has some great wisdom for us here. We're going to be looking in John's Gospel. It's one of the four accounts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection in the Bible. In John 4, where Jesus meets a woman at a well a woman from Samaria. Jesus is traveling from Judea, which is in the south, up to Galilee, which is up in the north. And Samaria is right smack bang in the middle. So he's got to travel through Samaria to get there. He stopped off at a city or a town, and he's at a well. And it's while he's at this well, when his disciples have gone off somewhere, that he meets this woman. So let's read a bit of the story in John 4, starting at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus is at the well and this woman comes and Jesus asks the woman for some water. But the first thing that the woman notices is the diversity between them. That she is a Samaritan. But Jesus is a Jew. And as John points out for us in that little brackets bits, Jews and Samaritans did not get on. 
And that's kind of an understatement. They really didn't get on. There was huge racial tension between the Jews of Jesus' day and the Samaritans. Jews believed that Samaritans were descendants of Jewish people who had married people from other nations and gone after other gods. So you read in the Old Testament, there's God's people and God's people get split in two, into the north and the south, Israel and Judah. But all the people, they failed to live God's way. They failed to love him and worship him as they should. And because of that, God allows foreign nations to come and invade them. And it's the north, Israel, who get invaded first by some guys called the Assyrians. And the Assyrians shipped in lots of their people and lots of people from different nations. And some of the locals, the Jews, married with these people from different nations and started worshipping Assyrian gods and other gods. And so by the time of Jesus' day, the Samaritans were kind of looked down on, spoken about as being half-Jews who have betrayed the living God. There was huge, huge racial tension, huge hatred between the two. The woman is really shocked by Jesus' request because of this diversity. But I bet she was then also really shocked by Jesus' response. Because he doesn't say what you expect him to. In verse 10, Jesus answers her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus starts talking about this gift of eternal life, about his spirit, which he can put in the woman, which will bubble up, well up, and overflow into eternal life. He basically responds to her question of, how can you talk to me, by telling her, stop bothering with racism, and realize that the one in front of you is the one who can meet your every need. He kind of completely ignores it and says, no, 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 get the bigger picture. I'm the one who can meet your every need. I'm the one who can meet your every desire. And he talks about this living water he can give her. A water which will mean she never thirsts again. And if you live in a really hot, dry country, that's a big deal. We might like the idea of it, but if you lived in Palestine this time, you would be desperate for water. And she doesn't want to have to go every day to go and get this water from the well, but she just doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. She doesn't get that he's talking about something far more significant than physical water. She can only understand it on that earthly, physical level. And she thinks... It'd be great not to have to go to the well every day. She thinks, give me that water so I don't have to keep on coming back. But Jesus cares about her deeper need. He wants to get her to see that actually he's saying something more. There's something more important going on. And so he actually subtly changes the subject to help her understanding. Verse 16, Jesus says to her, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. But Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Jesus gently highlights for the woman an area of her life that was full of guilt and full of shame and full of hurt because he's helping her to think deeper. He's helping her to see, no, no, the water I've got is something far better, is what you really, really need. He asked her to go and get her husband. And it turns out that she's been married five times, but now she's sleeping with a guy she's not actually married to. 
And when she sees this insight that Jesus has into her life, that he knows this even though she's not told him, she suddenly realizes this guy is someone special. She says, I perceive you're a prophet. You're a guy sent by God. You're someone who speaks God's word to us. You are something special. And when she realizes she's something special, she thinks, I've got a good question. You're just the man to ask a good question about. She asked about a conflict between the Jews and Samaritans. She's still going back to this conflict, this division between the two of them. And she asked about where they should worship. She says to Jesus, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, a place called Mount Gerizim. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And this was one of the big disagreements, the big debates, the big source of hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews believed that they should worship in Jerusalem, where Solomon had built the temple and the temple had been rebuilt after the exile, where God lived with his people. But the Samaritans had a temple up in the north in Mount Gerizim. They thought that was the place that you should go to worship the living God. It was a point of huge division. And she thinks, this is the guy. He can give me the answer. He can tell me which one's actually right. But Jesus' response doesn't really even address that in a sense. Jesus gets right to the heart, right to a much, much deeper unity that he can bring. A unity that he can bring that even when there's huge diversity between Jew and Samaritan, they can be united. He says to her, Women, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Jesus is saying, actually, in him, everything changes. Worship isn't on Mount Gerizim. Worship isn't in Jerusalem. Worship now is in spirit and in truth. Here is unity in diversity. He's saying we may be completely opposed to each other, completely diverse, but here we can be united in worshipping God in spirit and in truth. And if we read elsewhere in the New Testament, we see that that worship actually is rooted in something even deeper. That every person who puts their faith in Jesus becomes grafted into him, hidden in him. Each one of us is in Christ. That every person who puts their faith in Jesus becomes a part of his body. He's the head, we're the body. We all look different, we all do different things, but we're all one, we're all united. In Romans chapter 12, Paul explains it this way. He says, we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. He says we're so united in Christ that we actually become members of one another. In some way, we are connected to each other. And so when Jesus talks to this woman and says that now, no, we're going to worship in spirit and truth, he's pointing to that deeper unity that is going to come by being in Christ. He's pointing out that all the things that divide the Jews and the Samaritans are going to be knocked down in him. Their racial differences are rendered utterly irrelevant because the gift of eternal life comes irrespective of race, irrespective of worth, irrespective of age or background or qualifications. It comes purely through receiving the free promise and offer that Jesus gives. Their religious differences all fade away because they become united in Christ. And they worship in spirit and in truth. Friends, this is the heart of unity in diversity. This is the answer for our connect groups that we look at and we think, I don't think this is going to work. This is the answer for the church and we think, we're so diverse, how can we be one? This is it. We are united. Our identity is that we are one body. 
members of one another, and we worship in spirit and truth. We might even be sitting next to people in church who are from a people group with whom historically our people group has been at kind of odds at with great hostility against. But in Christ, there is unity as we worship together in spirit and truth. Friends, this means there is absolutely no place for any division within the people of God. There is no place for any hints of racism or ageism or sexism or looking down on people from other backgrounds. And that's true within us as a family, as those who've been united within Christ, but that's also true for each one of us as we think of those who don't know Christ. There is no place for racism or ageism or sexism or any form of division and discrimination in our hearts against those who don't know Christ. Because the Bible says that every single person is made in the image of God. The animals aren't, the plants aren't, but we are made in the image of God. We are given the commission to be his representatives on earth. And what that means is that every single person, before they've done anything, and regardless of what they've done, has inherent value and dignity and worth. It means that each one of us is equal. Each one of us, what marks us out is that we are made in the image of God. There is no place for division. There is no place for discrimination. And we need to seek our hearts, search our hearts to look actually for offensive ways. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us if actually we are harboring racism or sexism or ageism, whatever it might be. Actually, for some of us today, one of the responses to today will be to repent of wrong heart attitudes, to recognize that we've thought wrongly or we've acted wrongly, to choose to repent, which means I'm going in this direction, but I know that's wrong, and so I'm choosing to stop and to turn and to walk in the correct direction, to do a 180 turn. It's good for all of us to search our hearts, to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to reveal things in our heart, and then to give us the power to change and to live out his way. And we need to be really deliberate about expressing this unity because it's not something that comes easily. It's not something that kind of happens by default. It's something we have to take action on. We have to be deliberate about. Go out of your way to mix with people who are different from you. You might find it more difficult because they think differently and they want to engage differently. But go out of your way and make the effort to do it. Be deliberate about expressing together this wonderful unity that we have in Christ. Sometimes that's going to require us to be very quick to forgive. Sometimes it's going to require us to have some awkward conversations because things that we do in our culture might inadvertently offend people from another culture. There might be kind of culture clashes, but we need to work hard at talking about those things, at forgiving each other and moving forward, at growing in our unity. And our connect groups are a great opportunity to do that. You're stuck together with those, whatever it is, 12 people for a whole year. It's a great opportunity to really get to know some people who might be totally different from you, but to live out that unity that God has given us. We are a united people, and before God, all division fades away. So that's our unity that exists in our diversity, but then also there's diversity within our unity because we're united in Christ we are one we're a family together does that mean that we should just ignore all the diversity does that mean we kind of brush it under the carpet we try and erase it we try and pretend it's not there I don't think it does I think the Bible also calls us to celebrate the diversity that exists amongst us to look at what God has put amongst us and to celebrate it to embrace it to learn from it And we do have to clarify here, we want to embrace God-given diversity. But actually there's also diversity which stems from wrong choices, which stems from sinful actions. 
Not every difference, actually, does God want us to celebrate. But within the bounds of following Jesus, within the bounds of living God's way, there are differences that God has put within us that he wants us to embrace and celebrate and wants to benefit each other within them. I think a great place where we can get a little insight into this is in Revelation chapter 7. Now, Revelation is the last book in the Bible, often kind of avoided by Christians and ignored. It's a bit confusing, a bit scary, not quite sure what's going on. What happens in Revelation is that the Apostle John has a vision where God basically peels back the curtains so that John can see the spiritual realities that sit behind the physical events of history. And most of the book of Revelation isn't actually about kind of all what happens at the end. Most of it is about what's happening now in the spiritual reality behind the physical world. But at the same time, there are a few visions of what will happen on the day that Jesus returns, that final day. And we get one of these incredible visions in Revelation chapter 7. Uh, verses 9 to 12, this vision of God's people worshipping together, united in Christ, but also expressing wonderful diversity. Let's see what John says from verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The vision that God gives to John of this final day is of a huge number, a number so great it can't even be counted. You can't even count it up of people around the throne of God worshipping him. But what's really interesting is that he notes that this this number are from every nation, from all tribes, from all peoples, all languages. It's a diverse group united as they worship God. You see, diversity hasn't been erased. It's not being uh, kind of got rid of. It's not that we've all become uniform and one. Diversity is there. It's not a problem that's now being solved. Actually, it's a gift of God that is being embraced and being expressed. It's key, actually, to God's plans. And you might be thinking, ah, but Andrew, they're all dressed in white. They're not all dressed up in their national dress like we are, which is true. But the white garments is an illustration of what Christ has done for them. Just a few verses later, we read that they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These white garments are a picture of the utter perfection that comes not from how we live, not from trying to be good, but because those robes have been washed in Jesus' blood. All the muck and filth that separated us from God gets washed away and we are pure and perfect so that we can stand before him. So why is this diversity there? Why not just have a great unity? Everyone looks the same. All diversity has got rid of. Why do we still need diversity at that point? I think it's because that in our diversity, God gets more glory. God gets more praise. God gets more worship. I was thinking about it a bit like if a new film came out. Imagine a new film comes out and you hear quite a few people say to you, oh, the film's really good. You must go and see it. It's such a good film. But then you realise all the people who said that to you are the same kind of age, same ethnicity, same sex, from the same kind of background. You're probably going to think, okay, it's quite good, but you'll notice there's only one particular subset of people who are telling me this. 
But then imagining a film comes out, and again, loads of people are saying, it's amazing, you've got to go see it. And you notice that the people are from different ages, from different ethnicities, from both sexes, from different backgrounds. That's the film you're going to know, this is a really, really good film. The fact that all these diverse people are saying it's good somehow expresses to us that this is exceptionally, exceptionally good. I think there's something when we worship God in our diversity, in our different ways, with our different cultural influences, God gets more glory. God is worthy of more glory than just the kind of uh, restrained worship of the British that comes naturally to me. God is worthy of the worship of every, every single nation in all our diverse ways. And God gets more glory when we do that. And this is why we should be celebrating the diversity that exists among us, because it's bringing glory to God. We need to embrace it and celebrate it, that means that we should be a place where everyone can feel welcome, where everyone can come and be a part of the family, can be themselves and can glorify God in the way that he has made them. And there are some really practical things that we can do to try and uh, express the or uh, embrace the diversity that exists among us. Let's just make a deliberate effort to take an interest in the lives of those who are different amongst us, to actually recognise and embrace and celebrate diversity by getting to know people who are different from us. Let's be really, really eager to learn from people who are different from us, to learn from other nations, to learn from other cultures. It's very easy, isn't it, really, to stand in one culture, one nation, and to look at others and think that when things are different, it's a bit odd. Or even, actually, sometimes we stand and we look at other nations and we think things that are different are just things that are wrong. But there is so, so much for us to learn from each other, from different cultures. We need to start from a position of wanting to learn, not a position of wanting to correct or to change other people. And actually, even more than learning, I think sometimes actually other cultures have got things to challenge us on. Because for each one of us, whatever culture, whatever nation we come from, there'll be parts of our culture which are not godly, which are not how God wants and actually we can be challenged as we see other nations. A really simple example of this that I feel so challenged by some of my friends from other nations is just a thing of thankfulness. And I realise how slow I am to be thankful to God, how much I take for granted. And actually I'm feeling hugely challenged that I'm often just very ungrateful before God. That's another culture which is challenging me. I'm being shaped and helped by diversity that God has put right here within our family. And I think I want to say that if you're here from a minority culture, you're here from another nation, we love that you bring diversity. We love that you want to do things a bit differently. We love the diversity you bring and we don't want you to be squashed into who we are. We want to embrace you and to learn from that and to be challenged by that. Can I invite the band to head back up? So in Christ, we have unity in diversity. And there is diversity within our unity. We become united in Christ in one body together. Christ the head, we're the body, members of one another. We are united as we worship God in spirit and in truth. Every single division that might threaten to be amongst us gets put away, gets cast down, falls down before Jesus. And so we need to be really, really deliberate about expressing our unity together about going across those divides, being unified, and connect groups are an opportunity for us to do that. But there's also diversity within our unity. We need to embrace 
and celebrate the diversity that is within our church family here, within the wider family of God, within the societies that God puts us in. And let's be deliberate about embracing that diversity, being so, so quick to learn and to embrace challenges, to benefit from all that God is trying to give us and put in there. Can I invite you to stand? I want to pray for us that God would help us to do this. And then we're just going to finish by worshipping again. We're going to do some of this worshipping in spirit and truth from different nations. So if you want to do whatever uh, comes naturally to you from your culture, that is absolutely wonderful. And we want to learn from that and embrace that. But let me pray for us and the bands will lead us. Father God, we thank you that in Christ we are united. That we are one, that no matter how different we might look, or we might feel, or we might act, or how different our backgrounds might be, thank you that you have united us as your body. Thank you that every single bit of division gets broken down in light of that. And Jesus, we say we want to be united. We say we want to be united in heart, be united as family. We say where there are offensive ways in our hearts, would you reveal them to us? Would you help us to repent? Would you help us to follow you? Holy Spirit, help us to be people who live in the unity that you have created, that you have won. Help us to recognize the image of God in every single person and to love and value every single person whom you have made. And Father, we also thank you for the diversity within our unity. Thank you for the diversity within our church family here. For all there is for us to learn from each other, to benefit from each other, to be challenged by each other, and the way it allows us to give more glory to you. Help us, God, to embrace that diversity, to take hold of it, to celebrate it, and to use it to bring glory to you. Jesus, we say blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.